morning, everybody. I have handouts all the way up here in this chair. <laughs> I can, I can uh, bring them to you if need be. I hand you one. What you have there in the handout, you have a schedule for what we're doing in, in this class as far as what section in Deuteronomy we'll be in. So that way, if you want to read ahead, you, you know what I'm going to be doing next. And Lord willing, that's our, our plan for going through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, the other thing is a, a handout that I, I've made uh, to, to draw out connections from those 10 God said statements in the beginning of Genesis to the 10 plagues to the 10 words to kind of give you a, a structure of those and to be a help with that. And I'm going to refer to a piece of those charts in this lesson because as we look through Deuteronomy 5, we're going to be looking at the 10 words again as. Moses preaches the 10 words to a new generation, which is the title for this lesson, the 10 words for a new generation. And given that we've gone through these in detail in the past, there's some detail that I won't go into, but I'll, you can look on our website and find my messages there in Exodus 20. There's two messages that I spent going through the 10 words and how it functions as teaching you about who God is and how his salvation works and then how you live that out with your neighbor in relation to God's plan for his whole creation. So every decision that you make and how you relate to God and how you relate to other people is communicating something about who he is and how his salvation works. Now these 10 words as they're given to this new generation of the sons of Israel, they're being taught how they relate to these 10 words. And this is one of those things that even for us as the generation of Christians looking back at these 10 words has been something I, I suppose you say it's been complicated and difficult for Christians to comprehend how do I relate to these 10 words or uh, we usually refer to them as the 10 commandments especially when you have Paul saying things in Galatians 5 18 like uh, you know, those who are in the spirit they're not under the law so it's like well what do you do with Deuteronomy chapter 5 if you're not under the law and this is, this is the law or the Torah or the instruction that he's referring to. And he's saying, you're not under it. I go, well, how do you process life then? How do you think about that? 
And one of the illustrations I, I've gave in the past is you, you could think about it. The, I've referred to, you know, being under Moses as living in Moses' house, but you're always made to move out of his house to move in to Christ's house ultimately. You weren't to continue, you know, under the law, under that, that parenting relationship. You're always intended to, to, to move out and live in a, a greater maturity later. So you think about in your parents' house, maybe they, they, they had or maybe they still have, some if you're younger, uh, you know, bedtime, 9 p.m. You know, there's a specific thing that you're supposed to do and there's a purpose behind why you go to bed at 9 p.m. Why do you go to bed at 9 p.m.? You need rest. You need to, to not be cranky and whiny tomorrow. We got things to do. But after you move out, you're not under the, the law instruction of your parents anymore. Yeah, after you've moved out of your house. But you can still fulfill what they, they taught you even though you're not doing the specific thing they said. So maybe you don't go to bed at 9 p.m. You, you go to bed at, at 11 or it's different times and different days, but you're still fulfilling the purpose. You're just carrying out the specifics of it differently. And that's similar to how when you're looking through these 10 words, which you're not under, you, you don't live out the specifics of them like the sons of Israel did, which is obvious enough, I think, as you know, we're wearing mixed fabric. Maybe some of you had bacon for breakfast, things like this. But then Christian's like, well, I, I understand that I'm not under those things and I don't I also don't want to be, <laughs> but what about some of the other ones like maybe that I would kind of be attracted to or like, like some of the Sabbaths? Uh, what do you do with those sort of things? So since this text has to deal with helping this generation understand how the 10 words apply to them, uh, I want to build that out in your minds as well a little bit more so you can have a little bit clearer picture of how you think of this as a Christian and to do that up front, this is kind of preliminary to come into Deuteronomy 5. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 9.20. And this text might initially sound a little bit confusing, but we're going to make it clear as our, as our goal here. So 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 21 is what I'm going to read. This is uh, Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes, and to the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews to those who were under the law as under the law though not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. So you could think about this. You have God's character as the, the standard for all of creation. You think about when you this term under the law is talking about under the Torah or under the book of Moses or under the Mosaic covenant. He's saying, you know, we're, 
we're not under that, but are we the first people in history to, to not live under the law? Who else did not live under the law? Yeah, all, from, from Adam to Moses, you know, Paul makes this point in Romans 5. It, you know, don't, don't think that it was like, you know, the world was just lawless until uh, the Mosaic Covenant came. And then those ten words or ten commandments within it as a, a subset of that. So God's character is the standard. You hear Jesus teach this, Matthew 5, 48. You, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he expresses that standard through the law of God. That's the term that Paul uses. But then he talks about those who are under the law. Who is he talking about there? Yeah, these were given to, to Israel right here in sometimes referred to as the law of Moses. And inside of that, you have the ten words. So this isn't, the ten words don't make up the, the whole of the law of Moses, but the law of Moses is also all one thing. It's not something that's divided out into parts. Uh, historically, the, the Roman Catholic Church would break it up into saying, well, some of these laws are civil and some are ceremonial and some are moral. Uh, Moses didn't present the law this way. God did not give us the, the law in, as in some way to divide it out into parts, but it comes as a whole thing. So you see the law of God here to the son, given to Israel was under the instruction of Moses, the law of Moses. But later in history, it's given to who? It's given to the church, but were, were we given the law of Moses to be placed under the law of Moses and to follow all of the things there? No, we weren't. It says we're under... The law of who? Yeah, we're under the law of Christ. And I think this uh, diagram here, it, it helps you to understand this text that we just read. So Paul's talking about how he thinks about evangelizing certain people. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win the Jews to those who were under the law. So Paul said, you know, he lived as if he were under the law. Like you know, he, he didn't uh, eat food in front of them that would unnecessarily offend them. He says, that's just not going to help this relationship. I have the freedom to, to not do that. I have the freedom to give up my rights in Christ so that I can reach these people who are under the law, and Paul being a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin says he's not under the law. And you read that, it's like, that's kind of a shocking thing to say. And it's like, well, Paul, what are you, some just like lawless guy? Like you don't have 
any rules in, in life whatsoever. You just do whatever you want and people can just sin and do whatever and uh, God has no expectations or standards for people. <laughs> no, he says in verse 21, you know, to those who are without the law, which he's referring, you know, to who? Who's he saying was without the law? Yeah, Gentiles, you know, they weren't given the book of Moses. You know, they, they weren't given the covenants. They were strangers to them. And he says, in a parenthetical statement, though not being without the law of God. So he says, I'm not without this. Nobody's without the law of God. But he says, I'm not under this. But then he talks about being under the law of Christ. So you can see it's kind of this idea of, you know, we've moved, we've moved out of this house. We've moved out of Moses' house when we moved in to being Christ's house. In uh, an article written by one of my former pastors, Mike Riccardi, and I can share these with you. He, he uh, wrote an article on the threefold division of the law and how that, that's not a, a biblical construct. So if that's something you want to think through, I've got an article for you. He also uh, wrote on this sort of concept here, which is where I got this little diagram, and I'm going to read to you a, a section of it. He says, as Paul speaks about becoming all things to all men, he introduces categories of people which shed light on the nature of the law. There is a category of people who are called under the Mosaic law, which is the Jews. And there is a category of people who are not under the Mosaic law, but are without law, which is the Gentiles. The key is... Paul says that he could become as one not under the Mosaic law while at the same time being under the law of God. And the reason he could do that is because he's under the law of Christ. That means the law of God does not equal the law of Moses. So that's important. Don't, don't confuse this term with this. Uh, we'll come back to that thought in a little bit. He says... You know, the law of God does not equal the law of Moses. Instead, the law of God is a superordinate category. So it's a, it's a higher, more general category of which the law of Moses in the Old Testament and the law of Christ in the New Testament are ins, instantiations. That was a word I looked up. I don't even know if I said it right. This is what that word means. A specific application of a general application. Would have helped if he just would have wrote that instead. Right? So these, you know, the law of Moses, the law of Christ are specifics to the general thing of, of the law of God and his character. That's the overarching thing. You know, God, God's character is the standard throughout, you know, all of time there. But it was expressed in a specific way for a time in history under the law instruction of Moses. But in this as Paul talks about in Galatians 3, was a tutor that would lead us to Christ ultimately. This is what Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 23. He says, but before faith came, we were held in custody under the law, being shut up for the coming faith to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor unto Christ so that we may be justified by faith. You know, we're not justified by going back to the law of Moses. We're, we're taught to go to Christ as the one who makes us right with God by trusting in him. Not by law doing, but by going to Christ 
It says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You're no longer under this anymore. So the law of Moses was given to Israel in the Old Testament. The law of Christ is given to Christians in the New Testament. But the law of God is that transcendent, universal standard of absolute moral righteousness to which we are called, which is written on every man's conscience, which is what Paul writes about in Romans 2, and of which we all fall short. You know, we all fall short of the glory of God, which is God's character, and it's expressed through the law of God. And so, because the, the Ten Commandments were an expression of the law of God, they do not equal the law of God. If, if you get this, it'll save you from being confused about all sorts of stuff. But as we had talked about, you, you can fulfill the purpose of the law even though you're not under it. You, know, you, can feel, you can fulfill the purpose of your parents telling you to go to bed at, at 9 p.m. even though you don't go to bed at exactly 9 p.m. like they instructed you to do while you were under their roof. Uh, you can still fulfill the purpose of getting some rest you know, the next day. And you don't have to move back into your parents to be able to keep that commandment. In Romans chapter 13, Paul writes, Owe nothing to anyone except to, to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So you think about it, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't rehash all of this, the specifics of the entire law of Moses and say, well, th this is how you do it. He said, well, now you've grown up and you get the concept, like you have a bedtime, <laughs> but nobody has to give you specific times anymore. You can figure out how to work that out. So the whole point of the, the law was you loving God and loving your neighbor. That's how you fulfill the law. And he says, for this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, which is the whole focus of the instruction was to, to point you to the fact that you don't have a heart for God and you need that, but Christ is the one who gives it to you. So go to him. Go to the one who gives you a new heart. And when he does, you'll love the way that he loves. And you'll live out that love and you won't, you won't need these specific instructions that you had back in your your parents' house, you'll just be able to live in greater maturity and freedom under Christ instead. So these guiding principles, I guess you could say, they're, they're built into creation. We've talked about this, how the commandments are founded in creation. These ideas of uh, you having a relationship with God and you need rest sometimes and you, you have a relationship to the land and to your neighbor and how you're to treat him and those principles remain throughout all of creation such as man still needs rest but how you think about the sabbaths changes you know usually in scripture talks about sabbath it's not just talking about one day in in the week they had uh, under this law of mo there were multiple sabbaths all of them were pointing to the need for all of creation to have rest in Christ ultimately. It says, but once that's fulfilled in Christ, you don't need to go back to that. Uh, you need to, to move out and you can live out that rest however you, well, not however you want, but in, in accordance with how he directs you. So that's why you know, we, we don't uh, meet on Saturday. 
that's why we don't have multiple Sabbaths built into our calendar every seven years, every 70 years, you know, things like this, because they were, all of those things were in the past to instruct us to move toward resting in Christ. So the law ultimately points to Christ. This is uh, Romans 10, if you want to turn there with me, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the goal of the law for everyone, to everyone who believes. So you hear that? What, what was the goal of the law? Was the goal of the law that you keep the law? It wasn't, that wasn't the goal. You know, the, the instruction itself wasn't the goal. It's like you were just made to inherit this and to keep it. It's like, no, it was, the goal was always that you would go to Christ. And then once that has happened, the, the, the law, is, it's obsolete. It's carried out its purpose because the one that it, it has pointed you to has come but now you fulfill the instruction that all of these things pointed to without needing to keep all of the specifics that were within it, which are also obsolete. So the goal of, of the law is Christ, not itself. You know? yeah, I think uh, you see this in a, a modern uh, movement that's kind of resurfaced. Uh, Christian nationalism or theonomy, these are topics that have come, that have resurfaced. You have probably thought of these things uh, more under the terms of social gospel. I know these two groups don't want to be related, but they are related in how they process the law and that they see the law is the goal. Getting the, the law, Christians influencing the law among the government so that the government will instruct the whole world and baptize you know, nations under the law of God is what fixes everything. So they see the, the goal, they say, is the law of God, but they say the, the law of God equals the law of Moses, equals the law of Christ. So they're real confusing to read because they misuse this term and they don't see a distinction between Moses and Christ. So they'll use this term, law of God, but then they give this application, we need to do what the law of Moses says, which is extremely similar to uh, the heresy in Galatians of the Judaizers where they're saying, we get that you're justified by Christ, but if you want to be a really good Christian, you need to move back in with your parents. <laughs> you need to go back to Moses because it's the law that transforms you. It's the law that transforms society. The law is a sanctifier. You don't look, Christ saves you, but if you want to grow in him, you got to go back to Moses. And you see, these, these two things are, distinct administrations in history and they're not to be confused with the law of God but to see that distinction and that our justification is in Christ and so is our sanctification scripture never says that if you go back to the law it'll transform you that says when we behold Christ we're transformed from glory to glory and I addressed 
that issue in, I think, the second message I did on the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus, just you know, explaining at a little more length that the law doesn't transform, the law doesn't sanctify, that Christ transforms. It's God who makes holy. It's not us and trying to influence people with the law of God with a confusion that it's the same thing as the law of Moses. And as Paul writes in Romans 8, the, the, the law can't do what God did in sending his own son. And like We still need to hear that because we, we think that. Uh, it, may, it probably comes out more so in our, our parenting. I think, it, you know, if I just lay down the law, it's going to change my children's behavior. But we, we miss the point of the law. And the, the law is not rules. The law is not rules. The law is instruction, but it's instruction for the heart. So what we're going after with our kids is not some conformity to, to external behavior because we got on Mount Sinai and we thundered and we had a big storm and a bunch of fire. And our kids are like, all right, fine, we'll behave. It's like, no, I, I'm interested in your heart. Like there's, a, there's something in you that led to you carrying out this, this action. But what needs to be changed about you is inside of you. It's not all the stuff outside of you and how you're acting because you, you could do that. Uh, you could conform to an external standard and you could look righteous to other people and you could fool us and you could fool other people. But what I'm interested in is your heart. It's in you loving God and loving your siblings and our other neighbors and, and everybody. But it's something that has to change from within. Now, coming back to Deuteronomy 5, which is what this this class is supposed to be about Deuteronomy chapter 5. We were set up to come to this chapter in Deuteronomy 4, and uh, Moses is preaching to him. He says, do these things. Do these things that God has told you to do and, and go into the land. But you want to read this with all the tension that's there too, where he's, he says, go into the land. And he says, you're not going to go into the land. It's like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And he says, you know, go into the land. You're not going to go into the land. You're going to be exiled. You're all going to be scattered. But then God's going to bring you into the land. And so it's, he's teaching them how to think about eschatology. He's trying to teach them how to think about uh, what God is doing with their relationship to their parents in the past, what he's doing with them now, and what he's going to be doing with them in the future, and he lays out everything for them so that they'll know how to live in the present moment. He's giving them a, a worldview class, which is one of the things that the 10 words do. They, they teach worldview. They teach about who God is and what he's doing in the world and how that changes how you live in relation to other people on the earth. But the law never assumes man's ability He's not saying, you know, the reason that I'm commanding you th these things is because you can do them. Uh, the law is rather teaching inability. He's, he's telling them to do things that they can't do. And then he's also telling them, you can't do them and you won't do them. Because all of this is pointing to, you need me to save you. Uh, you need to be changed from within. You need a heart that loves God. That's what's missing in this. So he's, he's presenting this tension so that you'll ask the right questions. Uh, he's presenting this tension so you won't say things like, 
we will do everything that you have commanded us to do, <laughs> which is how the, the Israelites keep responding. They think, oh, the goal is law-keeping. It's just getting this instruction and telling people about it and trying to live by it. It's like, no, it's showing you you can't do this. You don't do this. You don't want to do this. You need somebody to change you so that this is, well, one, you're going to have to have a substitute law keeper. Uh, you're also going to have to have a substitute who pays the death penalty because you deserve to die for breaking these things. But you also need someone who would make you love my instruction and give you the power to walk in it. And all of this was meant to lead them to see their need for a savior and for a better covenant, which is what Paul goes on to talk about throughout, you know, 2 Corinthians in the, in the first six chapters. He says, you know, the, the, the old covenant was one of, of death and condemnation. People say, this doesn't bring life and salvation <laughs> at this point. We need something better than this, something different than this. We need God to do something for us, which is the new covenant, to give us new hearts and to cause us to walk in his instruction. Now in Deuteronomy 5, when you read these 10 words, if you compare them back into Exodus, you'll, you'll find out that they don't match with each other, which I think kind of raises this question from chapter 4 and verse 2, where it says, you shall not add to the word which I am commanding to you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I am commanding to you. So it's like, well, what happens when you, then Moses is preaching the 10 words, but he says them differently than they were written. Is he adding to the word of God and taking away from it? Well, no, he's not. You know, we know, we know enough to, to conclude that. But it's like, well, what's happening? Well, the, the point with the, the not adding or not taking away is it's not saying don't mess with the document, but what it's saying is don't misinterpret what I've given you. Uh, the way that we add to the scripture or take away from it is when we misuse it or misunderstand it or misapply it. And what Moses is doing is he's, though he's saying it different, he's applying it correctly to a new generation. You know, he's, he's taking the, the document of the book of the covenant and he's preaching it to these people and he's giving them sermon application. Uh, he knows who his hearers are and how they're to live by these words which Yahweh has given them. Now, one of the things that helps us to, to understand this section in Scripture is that the structure of the ten words, which is why I gave you the, the one handout that I did here. There's more on here than we're going to look at. But at the very bottom of this page but you know the, the three keys to understanding these sets of 10 is thinking about their content their structure and their purpose in their their context so you want to look at well what do they say how, how are they structured and relate to one another and what what was the purpose in their context and this one right here the 10 words from exodus 20 you have a layout of the structure of the 10 words. And what you see is that they're, they're different than just having you know, two, two tablets where you have the, the love your God stuff on one tablet and then the, the love your neighbor stuff on the other one. 
And said so those two tablets were full copies. You know, it, it was uh, like the bill and the receipt. You could think of it in this way. You know, God was saying, you know, this is what you owe me. I've read it down. I've wrote it down in this copy. And here's your receipt to show that you got it. And the way that these are actually structured are in, in two sets of three, ultimately. And you can see that in those boxes. You have one and two connect over to five. So, yeah, have no other gods. You know, never make an idol. The whole concept there is you, you honor God. There's only one God and you were made to honor him. So it has that vertical dimension. But then if, if you honor God... And that vertical relationship, what does it look like on the horizontal with other people and throughout history? Well, it looks like honor your father and mother, which then translates into honor all authorities that God has put over you. You know, honor everybody. And you see these sort of connections through the type of language that's being used. Then you have, you know, commandment, the, th the third one, the third word or third matter. It says, never take Yahweh's name in vain. And then 6 through 9 is the explanation of what that looks like in the vertical. It says, never murder, never commit adultery, never steal, never fault, witness falsely against your neighbor. You know, how do we know that those are connected? Well, by the way that they're worded. You know, never take Yahweh's name in vain sounds like never murder, never commit adultery. It's just a short statement of how that relationship to God connects on the horizontal level to your neighbor. So the way that you take his name in vain is by committing those acts. And then you have the, the fourth connecting to the, the tenth matter. The fourth being to remember the Sabbath day, which was a day about resting in God, you know, finding your satisfaction in him and not wanting anything different than that, uh, which connects into not coveting which is the same word that was used of Eve when she desired the fruit. You know, she wasn't resting in God and trusting him and his provision, but she was coveting and desiring something different. She wasn't seeing her satisfaction in being in God alone, but she's like, I have to have more than that. I have to have something different than that. And it's going to be found in the wisdom that I'm going to get when I partake of this fruit. So I've given you that chart for your own meditation and devotion as a way to see how those things are connected there. And as we've been talking about, we've been talking about this connection of this vertical dimension, horizontal dimension. But last week, the way we discussed it is that there's this relationship you have to God, but you also have this relationship to a corporate people and God's creation plan. And I started off last week with talking about how, how do you think about your sanctification? And typically when we think about it, we think about, you know, my personal devotions, my Bible reading, uh, my trials, what God's doing in my life. But Scripture never talks about sanctification in that way. It always talks about y'all's sanctification. It, it, it's all of y'all together. It's whole church pursuing sanctification together. And your pursuit or lack of it affects everybody else. And so you're not just thinking about how your life is affecting other people, but you're also thinking about how their life is affecting other people and that they're defiling other people when they're not uh, pursuing and living out their sanctification in the Lord. 
And so you love them and want to, to guide them in that as well. But it's also related to God's creation plan. So God wants to give testimony in the world about the creation plan, even through our sanctification and the fact that we struggle. Well, what does God want to communicate to the world? He says, well, things are like this. There, there is sin in the world, but there is redemption, and there is a transformation of everything in the universe that's coming in the, in the future. How do we know that? Look at the tension in a Christian's life. They're still struggling with sin, but you're also there's a, a dim picture of the glory to come you know, in these people who gather together and love one another and are pursuing what it's going to be like in this future land, which is the place where God dwells with his people forever. And you, you read about those sort of tension in, in Romans 8. You, know, you have... People are groaning, creation's groaning, and it's not, you know, it's not just you. You know, we tend to read the Bible selfishly, and if it's just, oh, all the yous are just talking just, just to me all the time. But it's like, no, it's talking about y'all and your relation to, to God's creation plan and how you live communicates something about what he's planning to do in the world from the beginning to the end. So all of these relationships have history as theology built into them. So we're going to talk, you know, hi history as theology is being laid out in Deuteronomy, and he's laid out to the sons of Israel how they have a history with God, which informs how they're to be thinking and how they're to be living in the present moment. Uh, they have a history with the people who have gone before them, going back to their parents, to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham, and they have a history with the earth which they live on, the land that they're in. And that, you know, they, they were in Egypt, but there's this other title deed that God has, which the Canaanites are in, but they own the title deed, but they just need to go and possess it. God says, here, you, here it is. Go and take it. I've given it to you. Now go and take it. And all of these relationships have come from somewhere. They're going somewhere. And that shapes how to, they're to think about life. You know, where did we come from? Where are we going? When we understand that, we'll know how to live today. And Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is within a, a section uh, going through 1132. And... This section breaks out into, into three parts. You have the ten words for a new generation here in chapter 5. Then in chapters 6 through 8, we have the, the Shema, as we know it, which is focused on you know, listening to God. That's what that word is, listen. Uh, that you're to fear God and to have a, a heart for him is the focus. And then 9 to 11, 32 is a warning to don't be self-righteous. So that's kind of the flow. You know, here, here's the ten words that, that instruct you in how to think about God, other people, your place in the world. Here's ten words for worldview. And the focus of all of this in the mod, everything that's modeled within the Mosaic Covenant is to point to the fact that you should fear God and love him and obey him. But don't say Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> Don't be self-righteous. Why shouldn't you be self-righteous? Because you're evil. 
Look at how you people live. Moses, I've been with you for 40 years. Like, you, you can't say, we will do this. <laughs> You've never done this. Uh, you need God to give you a new heart. So the main point throughout these chapters is you know, the heart of the law and what the model points to, which is ultimately the, the, the heart of the law is to instruct you to go to the one who gives you the new heart that you need. That's the point of it. So first five verses, let's look at those together. It says, then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I am speaking today in your hearing that you may learn them and be careful to do them. Yahweh, our God, cut a covenant with us at Horeb. Yahweh did not cut this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Yahweh spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. I was standing between Yahweh and you at that time to declare to you the word of Yahweh, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain, he said. Why do you think Moses is here putting the focus on us? Because remember, the, these were people who were born in the world. They weren't at Mount Sinai. Their parents were. They were born later, and right behind them is the, the grave sites of their parents. And he's saying to them, Yahweh cut this covenant with us. Why do you think he's putting the, the emphasis on us? Because they'll say, you know, we didn't sign this thing with our blood. That was our parents. <laughs> he's like, no, this is with us. Uh, the, it's as if you were there. Uh, you are in this covenant. Don't think it was just for your parents. This is for us. Uh, this wasn't just with their fathers, but with them. Now, I'd mentioned as you go through this, these 10 words, you know, it, it's not a second giving of the law. It's just a, a preaching of the law instruction to this generation so that it would shape their worldview and teach them how to live in light of it. One of the things that's different throughout this section here is the reputi repetition of the phrase, and Yahweh your God commanded you, which is a y'all, by the way. It's a plural one. So he's, he's helping them to understand this is for y'all. It's not just for your parents. Yahweh commanded you this also, even though you weren't there at that mountain. This isn't just a story about your parents, but this is sermon application for you who are listening to me right now. And when it talks about the Sabbath laws, one of the other differences that you, you see is that it talks about their ox and their donkey. Now, well, why bring up the ox and the donkey? Because these people had oxen and donkeys, <laughs> right? <laughs> These were draft animals, pack animals. And what he's pointing out is, you know, when, when you guys carry out the Sabbaths, give rest to the animals too. God's plan for creation is to bring rest to everything, not just the people. So don't just say, hey, we're gonna sit around and watch football, but let's keep the animals going. You know, you're, you're supposed to display a trust for God that he provides for you, you that you don't have to work seven days a week you can rest and enjoy other things in life because you trust that from your being faithful to work six days out of the week, 
know, Yahweh's gonna provide for you for the seventh. It's gonna be okay. You don't have to be given to toilsome labor. And instead of being told to remember the Sabbath, they're told to observe it. But when they're told to observe it throughout this section, you see that it's not connected to back to the creation as much as it's connected back to the Exodus event. So when you look at verse 12, for example, it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as Yahweh, your God, commanded you. So he's saying, not, don't just remember it, but observe it. Well, what, what is it that he wants you to observe? Look at verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and Yahweh, your God, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm Therefore, Yahweh, your God, commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, think about, I I know that we call these things the Ten Commandments. They don't read like commandments. Are you getting that? They they read like they're teaching you how to think about the world. They're teaching you how to think about God and to think about yourself. And he's teaching them, this is what I want you to observe and to remember. You were a slave in Egypt. I want you to think about the fact that you were in slavery and I brought you freedom. And after I brought you freedom, I, I, t- I taught you how to live. I redeemed you. And not because of anything in you, but it's all of grace. And so there's a, an emphasis on observing and remembering the, the grace of God, which I think it's you know, more appropriate to see these things as they're present. They're, they're ten words, they're ten matters, they're ten things that you need to, to know about understanding the world and your relationship to God and other people. Now, we had, well, in in the main service when I preached through Exodus, I had brought up this concept of that these 10 words can't read like a bill of rights, but they're not a bill of rights for you. They're a bill of rights for your neighbor. They're you kind of see this concept in verse well, 20. This is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Doesn't, he doesn't say because you have a right. He says, no, because your neighbor has a right to a fair and honest testimony. It's totally shifting you know, your thinking where it's not you know, love for yourself. I mean, you already want an honest testimony for yourself. He's saying take that love off of you and love your neighbor as yourself. Same sort of thing, verse 21. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house as field or as male slave or as female slave or his his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Your your neighbor has a right to be protected from you. Now, this is laying out again the the nature of love. which Deuteronomy is the book that defines love and its nature. And this is a concept that we're familiar, familiar with. The nature of love is that it, it looks out for the interest of others. You know, it, love isn't something that's of selfish ambition, but it's something that's looking at the interest of other people. You know, wh- what is in their best interest? How do I live and uh, act in such a way that I, I'm honoring God and I'm honoring other people rather than just trying to achieve honor for myself or status for myself or people seeing how great I am. Because the focus of all of this is on the greatness of who God is and what his love is like. 
he was looking out for the interest of others when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. Well, why does God instruct you know, these things the way that he does? Well, he gives this instruction because of who he is. We had talked about how the, these 10 words, are they're, they're a, a window and a mirror. You know, the idea of them being a, a window is that they're, they're revelatory. They teach you things about God. They teach you how his salvation works. They're teaching you what his love is like. They're teaching you what, how his redemption works. But they're also a, a mirror that when you look into it, you realize, I, I don't do those things, but I should. But it's pointing out that you don't match the image of God. It, but the only way that you can match that, that image is if he, he gives it to you or restores you to it somehow and starts working that in you. Which again, it's, a, it's important to you know, not read these as rules. You know, if, you, if you can get that out of your, your, your mind as an assumption, it'll help you to, to grasp these because you're saying, well, uh, if you take away the, the law, the, you know, the rules, as somebody might think about it, says, well, people will just be lawless. They'll just be ruleless antinomians. But understanding that the law is instruction rather than rules will help you stop a- asking the wrong questions and thinking about it the wrong way, but seeing, oh, this is instruction that teaches me about who God is, how he wants me to view the world, how he wants me to, to relate to, to other people. And it's founded in creation, but it's based on his gracious redemption. His, his redemption has to precede my loving the law and doing it. So you can't just start with, well, the, the law is the thing that'll bring me to Christ. It's like, you have to start with Christ who gives you a new relationship to his instruction. And so these things are a window and a mirror. They're revelatory and pedagogical. They, they teach worldview. Now, you could see this worldview concept being taught in these 10 matters is in these words, verse six, when Moses starts preaching these, he says, I am Yahweh, your God. He says, this, this is number one in how you think about who you are. You're in relationship with one God. You're not in relationship with any of the, the Egyptian gods. They're all dead. They don't exist. Like, do you remember the plagues? Yeah, I, I think I had mentioned this, but Israel doesn't really become monotheistic until the book of Kings. That's why they keep getting told, there's only one God. There's only one God. Like, okay, fine, we'll include him too. Like, no, there's only one. There's not any others. And they get it for a really short time in the book of Kings. And then they're like, well, maybe there's more than one. I don't know. And so it establishes a relationship with one God. It says, I am Yahweh, your God. And, so what, and what did he do? You keep reading verse six. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so this is also laying out a history of the relationship. Now, this is what the relationship is like. I'm redeemer. I'm not only creator, but I'm also your redeemer. He's not giving them a, a law code as much as he's giving them an instructional document, which creates a worldview where they think there's only one God and he's redeemed us by his grace and 
His gracious plan in all of creation is moving forward and it includes us. We're part of it. He wasn't looking for conformity to some sort of code of conduct, but to understanding the relationship that they had with a gracious redeemer. And the, the, the relationship that they would have continues to be spelled out with the next words, you shall have no other gods before me. So now in terms of that relationship with God, he's given them you know, expectations of the history of that relationship. You know, it should only be with one God only and forever because there isn't another. There is no savior besides me. There isn't another God. And I'm going to just kind of recap real quickly you know, this concept of a, a bill of rights throughout the 10 words. And there's rights that God has. One, one that he has a right to exclusive allegiance, as we've spelled that out. He has a right to exclusive allegiance. He's the only God. He's the only redeemer. And he has a right to an accurate representation of who he is. That's why he can't make other representations of him. You can't make other images. You can't make up other concepts about him. You can't misinterpret his word and add or take away from it. Third, that he, he has a right to Israel's full trust in life because he's trustworthy and he's the one who has given them life and is the one who guides their life and how they're to live it. Fourth, he, he has a right to be the exclusive source of joy in life. And this is tied to the, the Sabbath rest sort of concept. You know, they'll never find rest, and joy, satisfaction in anything else besides him. And so they're to view the world in terms of he's the exclusive source of joy in our lives. The fifth, the, the one who would receive these words, the recipient's parents have a right to their respect. They're to honor their parents as they seek to honor God who had given them those parents and but they were to think about this bill of rights concept in terms of their neighbor uh, that their neighbor has a right to life their neighbor has a right to a pure mar marriage their neighbor has a right to own their own property uh, their neighbor has a right to true and honest representation their neighbor has a right to freedom from f fear of you having ill intentions towards their person their family or or their property the 10 words here are specifically addressing the head of households and their relationship to, to God and neighbor. And they were to understand these things and to teach these things to their families. They were to resist seeking their own advantage and instead seek the interest of others. So you see, this is giving them worldview to bring into their home. You know, life isn't about loving me. Life is about loving God and loving my neighbor because God has, God has certain rights and I, I owe certain things to him and my neighbor has certain rights and I owe those things to him so that I can honor God and be a display of what the world's going to be like in eternity forever and ever. When it comes to loving God, one of the things that's echoed here that we had seen before in verse 15 is remembering. You know, what does love do? It remembers. Verse 15, you shall remember 
that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So that's the second, he's teaching them about the, the Sabbath, but he's not talking about the Sabbath in relation to creation here like he did back in Exodus, but now he's talking about Sabbath in relation to the fact that God redeemed you from slavery to belong to him. And so now that he's redeemed you and you're to love him and to have a heart for him, well, what does that look like? You remember, you remember that you're in this relationship with him. You remember how he redeemed you. And so they had festivals like Passover, a feast of booths, these sort of things to remind them. And that's why we have things like the Lord's Supper. You know, we have our own Lamb Supper in the new covenant whereby the way that we love God is we remember the salvation that he has graciously given to us. So how was it that they were to respond to all of these things? We're going to look at the last few verses, picking up in verse 28. And the, the response that I think is called for here is that you're to know God in relationship. Now listen for that as we pick up in verse 28. And Yahweh heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And Yahweh said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments all the days that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Go say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess. So you shall be careful to do just as Yahweh your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. In all the way which Yahweh your God has commanded you, you shall walk that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess." The response, the true response that the sons of Israel were to have to God is to know him, not, not just to, to say to him, we will do everything that you said. And you read that, he says, you know, they, they have done well in all that they have spoken. <laughs> you know, what they have, have said, that's a nice thing to say. You know, we'll do everything that, that you, you said. And he says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would actually do that. So that's what's missing in the whole equation here is, is a heart that would fear him and love him and actually follow him. They need a circumcised heart. Uh, they need to be washed clean by God's spirit. They need to be regenerated. They need to be converted. They need to be made a new creation. They need to be born again as a child of God. And all of this is looking forward to the relationship with Yahweh that they will have in the land. Now, we've mentioned that, that tension that he's telling them to go into the land, and he says, you won't. Look back at, it, at your history. Every time you've tried to do it, you've failed or just refused to do it. He says, you're going to keep doing that. Uh, you're going to fail, you're going to go into exile, and you're going to worship all of these other gods that you won't get rid of. But he says, but it's not going to be like that forever. I'm going to get rid of all of those other gods. I'm going to redeem you to belong to, to only me. And when it talks about the land in verse 33, the, you know, the last words there, it's the land which you will possess. 
but it's because God is going to do all of that for them. It's not because of their strength or their righteousness that they're going to enter into the land. Uh, They were to learn from their parents, we can't do this. We don't have the ability to take ourselves into the land. We don't have the righteousness to live into the land. We need a savior who can conquer our enemies for us, bring us into the land and be our righteousness. And all of this is moving to the core of theology in chapter six, which you see in verse verses, yeah, this is chapter six, four and five. It says, Hero Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So this is the thing that has been targeted the whole time is the human heart. So this is what you don't have and this is what you need. And what he's going to get to eventually is this is what God is going to do. Uh, you need to love God with all your heart and he's going to do that in you. So what do we do with this as Christians who are, we're not under, we're not under the law. We're not under the, the subset of the law of Moses and even these 10 words well, we do with them what Jesus, the new covenant lawgiver, taught us. Uh, we don't try to place people under the specifics of Mosaic law, but instead we, we move out of Moses' house, which I, n- none of you have ever lived a day of your life under Moses' house. You, you were born when it was uh, obsolete, but this is how Jesus summed it things up. Matthew 22 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he, what continued was all the the specifics here went away, but the teaching that it pointed to, to to go to Christ, to to love God and to, to love neighbor has been something that has been built into creation forever. So you don't have keep the, you know, the 9 p.m. bedtime, but you carry out the idea that that was taught behind it, which, you know, with the the law of God, what's being taught is God's loving character and that you're to to love him exclusively and you fulfill the law by loving him and loving your neighbor. Questions? Andrew. lawfully right well this is where you don't want to confuse this this the law of Moses isn't the law of God and so you don't look back at this and say well well how do I still keep being under the 10 words well you're not under them it's like so what do you do with them well you you fulfill their purpose which is to go to Christ so the well, you learn from it. it. It only does what it does. It, it, it instructs, but you're under the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. So you look at Christ's instruction. You know, you look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You look at all of the epistles. You know, what has he instructed you to do? How has he instructed you to live?
Yeah, and he's still preaching. He's, he's preaching as one who is under the law to people who are still under the law because the, the, the old covenant isn't fulfilled and cut off until Christ ratifies the new covenant in his blood. So you gotta get, when you're reading the Gospels, you're, you're still reading the Old Testament basically, right? And yes, he, he's our, our savior and, and example. But the, when he's talking about he's fulfilling the law, he's fulfilling all of the instruction, like everything that this was pointing to, which was pointing to you move out to, to live under Christ, but you fulfill everything that this pointed to, such as loving God and loving your neighbor, but you don't carry out the specifics that were here within the law of Moses. But you still learn from their instruction. Right. It's teaching you that God is holy, that, that man is sinful, and that you need a God-man mediator. Uh, this is Galatians 3.19. Here it says, why the law then? Why this? It says, it was added because of trespasses, having been ordained through angels by the hand of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. It was all teaching you to go to Christ. That, that was the point of it. It was guiding you toward that. Uh, same as I read later. So, but, you know, now that faith has come, we're, we're no longer under a tutor. It's just like your parent. That's why I use that analogy of living under your parents' house. I'm trying to draw, you know, a parallel between, like, like two administrations or economies. That's, you know, the word that's used in Scripture. You're just saying, like, you don't live here anymore, which I think it's, like it's super obvious in, in some sense and, and that, you know, we don't, we don't carry out our worship here in this building the way that we read about it back in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's, well, the other, uh, I'll give you an, an article on that, but it's specific. And, you know, if, we, if we're not, you know, uh, under the law of Moses, what does that do with way of the master evangelism? You know, how do you evangelize somebody if you don't, if you don't have the Ten Commandments? Because, it, well, the, the, the law of God hasn't gone away. You can't equate the law of God with the law of Moses. It's not the same thing. Uh, the law of God, the standard of who he is still continues. So you'd still, you would talk to people just, just the way that uh, Jesus preached, the way that Peter preached or that, that Paul preached. Uh, you know, they're, they're pointing out a lack of love for God. They're pointing out you worship creation rather than the creator. Uh, you see that Romans 1, you see that Acts 17. Uh, it, it can be those things. Uh, it the law of God still transcends and his character still transcends. It's not like, well, the, the 10 words within the law of Moses are gone, so I, I have no way to, to prosecute sinners. It's like, well, that wasn't a problem for anybody in the New Testament. And it's a, the standard is still that you're to love God and to love neighbor, and you don't. You worship the creation rather than the creator. And so he, 
sinners are pointed toward Christ and, and the law of God still does that, but you don't have to have this old subset of the law of Moses to have that because it's in this superordinate category of the law of God. So th this never goes away. I'll give, it, I'll give you the, the articles. <laughs> it, it's, it's difficult to work through uh, in your mind. It, it takes some time, but once it clicks, you'll just be like, oh, I got it. That totally makes sense. And you'll just read these same verses. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what it does. What law? Is the law of Moses still binding? Right, and the, and the point I'm making is that it's not the law of Moses, it's, it's the law of God is what they're referring to. It's built into creation. It's, it's not the 10 words that are, that are contained in the law of Moses, but it's built into creation. It still has the same function. So it still instructs, it still, it still gives a, a knowledge of sin, but it's not this specifically that gives a knowledge of sin. It's this, because... There were people from Adam to Moses that had the law of God written on their heart, which would prosecute them in their, their sinfulness, and God upheld it, you know, even with uh, Cain and Abel. It's like, well, where was the law, you shall not murder, written? It was written on men's hearts, and God upheld it. And he pointed out the, the sinfulness of men and the need for a Savior through all of that. And even when we're on the, you know, the other end of, you know, we're not from the Adam to Moses category and we're not in Moses to Christ category, but we're just in Christ during this time. Both, it, but he doesn't conflate the two. He, he distinguishes between the two, which is another reason that this topic is super complicated because once you start reading, look through the first eight chapters of Romans and it, write out, every time Paul uses the word law and figure out what he's talking about because sometimes it's, he talks about the law of Moses, sometimes he talks about Genesis to Deuteronomy, sometimes just Deuteronomy, sometimes the whole Hebrew Old Testament, sometimes he just uses it to refer to instruction in general. He talks about a law of Christ, a law of sin, a law of the flesh. But again, it's, they're not, the rule, it's instruction is what he's talking about. And this is... You know, going back to my analogy about like, uh, you know, your parents, they give you these specifics. You know, you go to bed at, at 9 p.m., but when you move out of your parents' house, you don't have to go to bed at 9 p.m. All, all the time, but you, you, care, you fulfill the principle that they're teaching. You need rest before tomorrow. It's the same thing with the law of Moses going into the law of Christ. It's not saying, well, you have to have all of these specifics in order to, to carry it out correctly. 
they say you you move out of this house and you fulfill the law. That's why you see, you know, the way that Paul uses the law in the he still uses it. You you read this in how how he taught Timothy. He says, you know, the law is good if if it's used lawfully. Well, what was it laid down for? Well, yeah, it, it was because of trespasses. It was to point out their trespasses. But that's still, it's built into man's hearts. It's not written on the, the tablets of stone. And even if, you don't, if you're not under those tablets of stone, you still, there's still instruction that's written on men's hearts. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's the point of the law. <laughs> you know, you're, you're prosecuting the sinner to show them their need for Christ. But even if I, it's very unlikely you're going to try to evangelize somebody that makes this sort of distinction in their mind, they're going to say, well, I'm not even under the, the ten words of the, the Mosaic law. It's like, well, you're under the God of creation, and this, there, there's things about that that still apply to you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, which you know, they, they manifest in the reality that they, they believe that there is good and evil even though they misdefine it. You know, they believe that there's good and bad. It's like, well, why, but why do you do that though? Why do you have those categories? Uh, how do you have categories like good and evil without the God of the Bible? It's like, well, you have them because you live in his world ultimately. And so you, know, you, use a, you can use a chapter like Romans 1 to, to point those things out and talk to them. If you want to go back and even if you wanted to try to work through the 10 words with somebody that, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, you see that Jesus did that same thing in talking with the rich young ruler, but he was also talking to somebody who was under the law at the time of being under the law. But you see, you know, Paul has no problem in going back and quoting the love your neighbor laws. He does that in Romans 13. He says, you know, this is what I have in mind, but He's also shown that they weren't restrained to just that time in history, but they're applied differently. So, you know, like the example with the Sabbaths, you know, we, we don't apply the specifics of the Sabbath, but we fulfill it in recognizing that the point was always to point us to our need for rest in Christ. And also, you got to rest from working sometime to display a trust in God. You know, it's, it's both of those things. So you could take that creation principle and maybe you're evangelizing somebody that's just you, you would call them a workaholic. It's like, you know, well, why do you do that? And they're like, well, I have to provide, and I got to do this, and I need these many vacations. It's like, well, you know, God made you ultimately to find your satisfaction in him. That's what you're looking for, but you're not going to find it in working a whole bunch. Uh, you, you were designed to, to work certain days, but then to trust in him and ultimately to rest in him. But all this shows you is that your relationship to your creator is backwards, but he's the only one who can turn you forwards. So repent and believe, and I'll pray for you. So that would be an example of using the law lawfully. All right, well, we'll close there. Good discussion, good things to, to think through. Let's pray. 
Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given to instruct us and to teach us and that you have graciously instructed us to come to Christ and you have given us new hearts to, to love him, to see him, to hear from him. And we pray that we would love you by rightly understanding and interpreting your word. We pray that you would help us to have clarity in these things, to live by these things faithfully so that we would be faithful as your witnesses in the world, that we would live in a way that testifies to your love for a lost humanity, that we would live in such a way that testifies to your goodness, to your love, and to your faithfulness. Pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit to continue to walk in these things to the glory of your name, not to live with selfish ambition, but with the interest of others, especially the interest of where they will be in eternity. Amen.